I don't want it to be dumbed down just for beginners. And at the same time, I don't want to exclude them because these stories are just so exciting. So I somehow thread the line between let's make it accessible for everyone, but also make it enjoyable for those who are really in this as their career and they still will find value out of it. Hey everyone, welcome to Supercasters. I'm Jason Suhoy, co-founder and CEO of Supercast. And on this show, we interview world-class podcasters, deconstruct their growth strategies, and find out how they built sustainable, independent businesses that thrive on a strong relationship with their listeners. In this episode, I'm speaking with Jack Resider, the creator and driving force behind Darknet Diaries, a podcast that did over 15 million downloads last year, and someone who's running a very strong paid membership program. Jack, welcome to the show. So glad to be here. Well, I'm actually, uh, I've been following you and, and what you've been doing. So I'm, I'm really honored to be part of this podcast. Uh, likewise, I, I got to say, I'm super excited for this conversation for a while because I've followed your story for a long time. Frankly, you know, just because it's, it's such a great show, but also because you're so good at, you know, sharing that behind the scenes creator journey. Um, and, and I purposely left the description of Darknet Diaries out of the setup because, you know, I wanted folks to, to get more than a typical you know, elevator pitch introduction. So would you be so kind? Yeah. So, I mean, Darknet Diaries is like true crime meets cyber crime where, you know, I, I talk about hacker stories, but um, I try to do it in a very storytelling kind of way. So, you know, true crime is, is popular because you, you start to, you know, gather some suspects and think who did it. And then you get all the information at some point. So I often have to wait, you know, a long time before I can do a story on cyber crime before I can, you know, get the whole details. But yeah, when all the details come out, that's when I put together a show and then I add a lot of music and I try to get any uh, interviews I can from victims or the criminal or the you know law enforcement and just bring it all together and it makes quite an interesting show. And I made it because this is the show I wanted to hear, you know? Mm. And so, uh, yeah, I couldn't find it and I just decided, okay, I'll make it myself because I'm a big fan of podcasts myself. Yeah, and you also have a background in tech security, right? That's right. So like 10 years before starting this, I was in InfoSec, so IT security and securing firewalls and routers and this kind of thing. And I mean, if you were going to ask me like, what's my advantage I have over the, you know, the common person is because I know a lot about this particular subject. And right. so that's what I kind of brought to the podcasting scene is all my skills and knowledge in this, but not just to teach it, but to actually do like storytelling around it. Right. How did those two worlds kind of cross over? Like there's a clear intersection, obviously, in terms of like you bringing that subject matter to podcasting, but how did that transition take hold? I was always been a fan of like This American Life and Radiolab and just super glued to it and just amazed that the storytelling is so good. Like it's mm. just so good. You know, this was the last thing I could ever think that I'd ever end up doing is making a podcast. And I, yeah. I came up with the idea and I was like, no way. There's no way I can like storytell and do all the interviews and the, and the music and everything. And so I kind of just put it to the side for like six more months and then finally picked up a book called Out on the Wire, which is a book by a lot of those people. It's, you know, Ira Glass from This American Life and Roman Mars from 99% Invisible and Radiolab and this kind of thing. These guys put together a book on how to do audio storytelling. And that's just what I needed to feel confident enough to give it a shot. And yeah, I just said, yeah, I want to hear this kind of podcast. Where is it? Couldn't find it and decided to make what I wanted to hear. 
That's amazing. And and did it start out kind of as a side hobby to, you know, a, a regular you know day job or your um, tech security gigs, and then mm-hmm. it turned, you know bloomed into a full time thing? How, how did that? Yeah, I I was like for the last 20 years or so i've just been throwing things at the wall trying to make it stick as far as like be my own entrepreneurial boss or something doing something from the internet to like have my own business right and so i've just been throwing things at the wall for all this time and this podcast i just kind of threw at the wall said is this something other people would like and stuff so after a few episodes it was really early on people were just really into it and i knew right away like there's something here that can it has some potential and I've already got it all structured. So I just need to keep it going. So yeah, it was, it was actually, I went to a conference and I met people who I've never known in my life. Like they're not a friend of mine or a family member, right? It was just total strangers told me that they listen to every episode and they can't wait for the next one. And that was like the early indicator, like, Oh my gosh, I've got people's attention for that long. Like every single episode you've consumed. And I only was only like six episodes in at that point. So that's when I knew okay, I got to focus on this. So yeah, I still have my day job. And probably like six months into that, I I quit my day job to uh, give this podcast like a full effort and all my focus. And yeah, about a year after starting it is when I was finally enough listeners to monetize and start making money on it. You know, last night I went back, I scrolled all the way back through the feed and listened to what I think is the first episode, PBX Hacking. Was that the very first Mm -hmm, episode? Yeah. I listened to the whole episode because I was kind of like, I want to see what, you know, the first raw episode was like. Mm-hmm. And, and I was blown away. Like it, it's as high quality a production. I mean, I'm sure it's not, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it just sounds super high quality straight off the bat. Was that, you know, kind of deliberate? Like how, how did you get it to such a high level, you know, right right from the first episode? Uh, yeah, that was, I mean, I, I spent three months on that first episode, right? Yeah, so right. it wasn't like, it was, it wasn't like it was every two weeks I'm making episodes now. So it right. wasn't a short productions period. So I scrapped like the first few episodes. I worked like almost to the end of them and said, no, this isn't going to work. And so then I had to keep pivoting which, which episode to start with. And uh, yeah, I mean, that one, it was all right. I I think I interviewed two people in that one. And Mm. it just, yeah, it was really just going through the motions. And I can hear, you know, how I was just beginning at it. But still, it it got put together okay. So, yeah, it was just a lot of, like, following directions and putting it all together and seeing how it goes. And, yeah, since then I've found my voice and my stride and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, look, you know, the generic advice, of course, that you always hear for podcasters is like niche down, you know, find your audience and then just, you know, be consistent. And uh, honestly, I can't think of a better execution than what you've done with Darknet Diaries. Can you give us a sense of what that growth has been like from your perspective, you know, since then? I, I had kind of a head start. At the beginning, I was a, a blogger and I had a couple thousand Twitter followers. So the blog was actually getting tens of thousands of, of viewers a, a month. So I plastered my podcast all over the blog saying, check this out, listen to this, and it's an IT security blog, right? So it's in the same vein. I got seven clicks a day to my podcast website. I could mm-hmm. see people were coming from there. So it was nice just to get 
like very passively seven new people a day to check out what I was working on. Yeah. And then a couple thousand people on Twitter. So that was where I started. And that gave me, you know, a few hundred downloads per episode just out the gate. You see people liking it and you're like, okay, I'll make more. And yeah. And since then, I think my goal has just been kind of like a 5% growth every month. Just maintain growth. I think that's my big thing is anywhere between zero, like one and 5% is, is good. And anything above zero is actually growth, right? right. So um, as long as you're growing and you got more audience coming, it's working. I got to say, I was frustrated that the growth wasn't faster mm. because you see, you know, viral stuff hitting the internet constantly mm-hmm. and you're like, why isn't my show blowing up, right? Mm-hmm. And, but it, it just takes time. And I'm glad it kind of took time because I had to iron out some like improvements on how I can make things better and get some mentorship along the way and all kinds of stuff to really make a better show. But, you know, maybe it would have been premature if I had blown up right away. So I'm glad it took, you know, a couple of years for things to just to get there because it let me practice and get good at this because I had no radio experience before or anything. It just kept growing and I did a lot of marketing techniques to try to get it to grow. One point in there that I just picked up on. So who were your mentors? Okay, so I had been posting a lot of things, like thoughts and stuff on like Reddit and stuff, just talking in the podcast, Reddit, subreddit. Somebody was really picking up what I was putting down. So we started talking and then we ended up talking on the phone and stuff like that. And and she turned out to be um, executive producer over at uh, Wondery after a while. And it was just fun to um, have somebody who just really knows podcasts really well to just be friends with, right? And to kind of bounce ideas with. And she helped me produce an episode or two and she taught me a lot. And so it was just one of those things. I met somebody at a conference that was like a celebrity actually. So one of the early things I did was I sent a ton of emails out to as many people who have a following as I could. So journalists, YouTubers, podcasters, anyone with like a big Twitter following, I just sent them an email saying, hey, I think you'd like this show. You know, that was pretty much it because, you know, you might want to share it with your audience. Right. And so out of like the 100 or 200 I sent, I got like two people who actually took me up on it. Right. And um, one of them was a person who has a million followers on Twitter and he's actually a celebrity, makes uh, a TV show on National Geographic about hacking and stuff he was like wow this is really good and he listened and then he started tweeting it and then I ended up meeting him at a conference and we we went and had coffee and all this stuff and we really kicked it off so he actually was able to help mentor me as well like we call each other on the phone sometimes and talk about stuff so it, it really is just a matter of when you're finding a mentor it's just a matter of being in front of as many people as you can and interacting with as many people as you can I mean I was going to podcast conferences and tech conferences and being part of like social media and, and joining in and all this kind of stuff and, and local meetups, anything I could to just be part of the, the podcast scene and, and constantly emailing other podcasters. Like, look, I'm a big fan of your thing. Here's what I'm making. Can Do you have any pointers on you know this particular part of it? And I'd say, just listen to this the first five minutes. What's the intro like to you or something? You know. So I, I was just meeting with as many people as I can. And I think eventually it's just inevitable that you're going to find somebody who you really click with, who likes what you're doing, and you can you know find a mentor in that way. I love that. You know, for people that I guess they're thinking about that growth strategy of, you know, trying to get in front of other podcasts and trying to get their attention, did that angle of, hey, I just appreciate if you could listen to five minutes and give me some feedback, did that work? Or like, are there some nuggets in there that you could share in terms of what people are more likely to respond to? 
Yeah, I just keep it simple when I'm reaching out. Like, you know, I know you write about IT security and sometimes you even write about podcasts. I do a podcast about IT security. It's a little bit different than I think you might normally know about Mm -hmm. or something, you know, but I think it's worth checking out. Your audience might like it and just keep it simple. And if people listen and they listen to well, if they don't, because I know it's kind of a numbers game and it kind of feels sleazy to like email like 200 people, like please listen, please check out my show. But, but yeah, even if one or two picks it up, I mean, the other one, so one picked it up was that Twitter a celebrity. The other one was a, um, a, the Guardian newspaper, right? So they picked it up, they saw it, and they ended up writing an article about it. It was really just a paragraph. It was like a, a podcast article, and then I was just mentioned in a paragraph or two. Just to, that one little mention, you know, is that social proofing where it's like, okay, this guy is getting written up in the Guardian. And then, you know, from there, the next newspaper who looks, you know, looks into me can see that the Guardian has already written about this guy. We should write about him too, right? So they can, that social proofing really does go a long way. So you want to really showcase that stuff on your website if if you can to say, look, at here's, this is all the places that's really talking about me and reviewing me and giving giving out awards or whatever it is. And it's good for the listener to say, oh, man, I've been missing out. This sounds great. And it's also good for other journalists to say, oh, well, yeah, I, I should be reviewing this too. Yeah, that's a great tip. Now, just going back to the content itself, because I am just you know really curious about how you pull a story together there's just so much to your episodes you know there's kind of be careful what you do on the internet kind of advice there's you know first person narrative and then this last jet setters episode there's like travel hacks and tips on saving money how do you think about all the different kinds of things that a show can do I've been around for a while, so I know like what kind of the big hacks are that I want to talk about. So I have like a big list. I have some Google alerts that look for like when a hacker is, um, you know, arrested or indicted or sentenced. A Google alert for hacker sentenced is great because now once they get sentenced, I know all the bits of the story. I know, okay, well, they were sentenced. That must mean they were found guilty. And if they were found guilty, that means they must have been arrested. And if they were arrested, that must have been they did a crime. And if they did a crime, what is the crime? And all that stuff is like can, can come out. So, you know, once I have that whole package together, that's really nice to uh, then go back to the beginning and say, okay, we can tell this whole story. That's a really cool tip for for finding good stories. Just get up a whole bunch of Google alerts. So some other Google alerts I have are like hacker died, hacker suicide, hacker <laughs> sentenced. Was it like something like I have uh, this hacker story reads like a movie script, right? If there's a if there's a news article that says that, I want to read that, right? right? Or biggest hack ever, biggest hack of the year, right? Biggest something, right? So like I have a ton of Google alerts, and this all just sends me like daily events of like what's going on out there because I really want to wait till everything's done before I can start a story. So, I mean, that's one way I get stories. Another way people uh, reach out to me and say, I've got a story for you. And that took a while for it to get there. It wasn't right away. Um, But then I also go to, you know, I I tune into conferences and I, I hear people talk about their personal stories and stuff. Those help too. I pay attention to all the things going on and pick up what I find interesting. Yeah, if I can get some interviews, that's great. And then I'll, I'll edit it up and narrate some some stuff in between and add some music and produce it and then publish it. Yeah, that's great. I love that tip. How would you describe a typical Darknet Diaries listener? And, you know, why, why do they come to the show? I've always struggled with this because 
I watch like the Discovery Channel and I'm like, this is so not for me. This is like not even 101 level stuff. This is like, <laughs> this is like elementary school stuff I'm seeing on here. Like you, you start, you know, dissecting Einstein's life and it's like, well, let's talk about E equals MC squared. Explain it to me and the, and the way he understood and they just like totally gloss over it, you mm -hmm. know? And I'm like, no, I want to know this part. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted that to be this extra bit of like, well, let's really learn some stuff from this. Even if I've been in this field for 10 years, I still want to learn something from one of these episodes. Like me personally, if I was listening to it, right? So I don't want it to be dumbed down just for beginners. And at the same time, I don't want to exclude them because these stories are just so exciting. So I somehow thread the line between let's make it accessible for everyone, but also make it enjoyable for those who are really in this as their career and they still will find value out of it. And that's kind of a struggle I have. So I think my average listener is going to be someone who uses tech on a daily basis and is interested in hacking stories because, um, I think a lot of us are like you hear about it in the news, but you see the headline and then it just kind of goes away. But like what really happened? Who were these people that did this and why and all this kind of stuff? And so you might have this curiosity of what could have been done to prevent it or something like that. So yeah, somewhere in between of just the everyday tech user, because so many of us are using tech so much in our lives. We have a phone and a tablet and a smart TV and computers and we use computers at work. And it's like, we're so invested in this, but we don't know that much about the security of it. So I really like targeting them. And amazingly enough, I've targeted so many of them that they'll actually say that they've quit their job and started, they went down IT security as a new, um, as a new work career path because they just think this is so exciting to, to defend against hackers or something. Right. So it's been really fun seeing all the all the responses people have had. <laughs> it's funny, if listening to that PBX hacking episode, I would have been that guy that hired the cheapest contractor to get just get any old PBX installed mm -hmm. to you know to get things done. But now that I've listened to the show and you know heard the story of the company that racks up a three hundred thousand dollar you know phone bill from from yeah. getting hacked and you know calling a paper call lines, I mean that's just that's just crazy town. Well, I, I know for a fact that you use good people to make supercast with, so I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't undersell yourself yeah. for, for that because I've, I've talked with that team that made that, and I'm like, wow, these guys are really, really sharp, and they really know their stuff, and I almost used them for a project of mine, so right. um, you, you do really use a good team there. Yeah, we also don't have a PBX. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so monetization. Uh, would love to like switch gears a bit. Can you tell us how you monetize the show yep so there's there's ads in there i just throw two ads in i don't want to overdo it i don't like to give people like a sour taste mm -hmm. and overdo it in that way so so there's two ads um 60 seconds each well i started patreon before i knew supercast existed so i've got a patreon going as well and then i've also got a a shopify store that has all kinds of different shirts it's not just the podcast shirts but i've also made all kinds of it hacking culture shirts as well yeah, awesome. How did you decide on direct listener support? Yeah, this is interesting, right? I've gone to the conference where I met my fans and they're literally handing me money at the conference. Like, look, I don't know how to donate to your show. So here, just take this $20. And somebody even gave me $100 at the conference. Was that weird? That was weird. 
I was like, I'm just doing it for you. You don't have to do anything for me. It was yeah. very strange. And at the same time, I was not feeling comfortable holding my hand out saying, if you want to give me something, here you go. Yeah. I got email after email. It was actually five emails before I finally had to make a change. But it was like, I just didn't have any sort of way to just get direct money. Like if you write a book or if you make a movie, you pay for that movie before you know if it's good or not. Right? And so what I was doing is I was providing value to my listeners and they're like, this is, this is worth something to me. This is entertaining for hours and hours and hours. I should give something to this, help this out in some way. I want to hear more of it. Right. And so that's why I decided to go and set up a Patreon and get things uh, set up there. And so then I could just direct people like, look, if you want to, uh, to help out the show, here's where you can go. I'm such a fan of it now because it is the most direct way to support the work you love, right? It's people want to help out and I want to help out creators that I love. Having that kind of thing is just wonderful to to just go directly to the person and say, here, I've got some money for you. Take it and thank you for all your work you've done. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually, it's so simple the way you just expressed it, you know, like the, with regards to a movie or a book, you know, like you pay before you know it's good. And yet for some reason, it's strange, you know, in other forms of creation to pay in advance. I hope we can close that gap. I just think the world is going to be a better place when we can, you know, pay creators what they deserve. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, it is getting there. So what does a paid member get? And, and you know, how did that, did that evolve over time? How did you kind of come up with the value that you're offering to listeners? Yeah, so I'm really big on research and stats-driven decision-making. <laughs> so I went to this website called Graftrion, which shows you the top Patreon podcasts out there. I literally looked at all t- top 20 of them, the most profitable Patreon you know, ones. I looked to see what are they giving. And what I concluded was they're all giving bonus content. There wasn't any other similarity of they've all gave the same perk, but the bonus content, they were all giving it. <laughs> so I knew for sure I needed to give bonus content. That's what I give is bonus content is, uh, you know, bonus episodes. I don't make them as fast as I should because it takes a lot of work to make an episode and throwing an extra one in there's just a lot of time, but I, mm-hmm. I have six so far, so at least there's something going there. It's also easy enough for me to send stickers out to Patreon members. I also give them a discount at the store for the shirts. Oh, and an ad-free feed. So when I um, you know, have the two ads in the episode, people don't need to listen to that if they're paying members, right? So I'll give right. an ad-free feed as well. So those are the things I give. And I think the ad-free feed and the bonus episodes are the most um, used the stuff that people like the most. And you have a Discord as well, right? Yeah, there's there's different communities. You get Discord uh, tag in the, in the Discord group, so you do get that. But right. I'm not sure how much people really join because of that, right? What people want to join is because they want to support the show. Because I've even asked Patreon, they don't give you numbers on how many people listen to a bonus episode. So I had to ask them specifically how many are listening. And they said something like 50% of my Patreons are listening to the bonus content. So they don't even like consume the stuff that... I'm like saying here, you get this extra stuff. So it's very strange that they don't, but that just seems to be what happens. So yeah, I think the majority of them are just there to help support me. And again, they want to hear more episodes of the main feed. 
Totally. I would be remiss not to take the opportunity to plug Supercast right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, being a podcast first membership solution, of course, you know, we provide that visibility of what people are listening to right down to the individual subscriber. That's kind of like one of the things that we're really leaning into this year. It, you know, we already provide that, you know, kind of who's listening to what level analytics, but we're also make, kind of making use of the fact that we have individual private feeds as well, you know, even starting to like tailor the content of what appears on the feeds and, you know, doing custom new member welcomes, you know, just because we already have the setup to, to be able to do it. Yeah. And I want to add that if I knew about it before starting, I would have joined Supercast for sure. And I've thought about switching over to it many times. So it's, I highly recommend Supercast as well. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, sir. All right. You know, once your paid membership was available, how did that affect your, I guess, the connection with your listeners? I don't think it affected that much. I mean, I hear from, from the paid members sometimes, but yeah, they, they're mostly quiet. One of the things I like to do is find my listeners and go as close to them as I can and be right. involved somehow. Right. And one of the things I do is just go to them, right? So if you ask me like, oh, where would you make a community for your podcast? Would you do it on this random obscure website that just is podcast communities? I'd be like, no, you go to the podcast listener. If your listeners are on Twitter, go to Twitter. If they're on Facebook, go to Facebook. If they're on Instagram, go to Instagram. Right. And so I was going to all these places, right. I, I LinkedIn and everything. I made a subreddit for my for our podcast listeners and uh, that's growing. But my fans themselves created a Discord, which I wasn't too familiar with Discord. So I'm glad they did, not me. Mm -hmm. um, and so my Discord channel is actually made by fans and I, I really want to take a step back from it and let them control it and run it and do everything. And I'm just there sometimes. And so, yeah, it's by them, for them. That's going great. You know, I made it the official one because I'm like, this is great. That's kind of the thing. There's like the, all these different communities of where my listeners are. And I don't put them in one place because they're not all on one place. And I don't want to make them go through this extra step of go to this website you've never heard of and sign up and then you can be part of the community. No, I don't think it works like that. You know, I won't, I will get like 1% as many people if I had, if I made them do that. Yeah, and so you've got let's see, four thousand four hundred fifty-seven members paying, you know, nearly fifteen thousand dollars a month, which is you know awesome. How important is that transparency when it comes to your paid membership? I guess that flowing through to the goals that you have and telling people what you'll do with the money and all that sort of stuff. It's really weird to like publicly show your numbers like that. But one person who really uh, inspired me was Pat Flynn on the podcast Smart Passive Income, mm -hmm. as well as John Lee Dumas on the podcast Entrepreneur on Fire. They talk about how to make money online and stuff, and they actually post all their numbers. I love the transparency. It was just so inspiring to me to see somebody say, this is what I've tried and this is what has, this is how much I've made out of that, right? And like, how much are you making from podcast ads? How much are you making from YouTube ads? How much are you making from this and that? And it's just so exciting to see and so wonderful. So I, I leave it up as a thank you to them. Like maybe that'll inspire someone else to start something. I don't mm. know, but uh, cause you can hide it, right? You can hide how much you're, you're doing, but I also love seeing other people's Patreon statistics. So I'm like, if I like watching everyone else, I might as well like show mine as well. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like that. So, so one of the things I do is because I don't want to be super transparent about my, how much income I have. I have no problem being super transparent about the stats on my show. And so that's kind of the thing I do is I, I decide, okay, ask me anything about stats. I'll be happy to share it. And I'll, and I'll even make a, um, a yearly uh, post on all the stats that my show has. I think what we'll do in this episode is we'll talk about that in our, in the bonus content. 
Is that yeah. what you want to do? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're gonna talk about yeah, the, the the marketing, you know, kind of the marketing experiments that you did last year yeah. as well. But but that is your annual roundups and just the stats that you put on your site are just in, incredible. You know, for anybody that wants to check them out, go to darknetdiaries.com and then I think it's in the about section, right? And that's where you post. Well, it's darknetdiaries.com slash stats. Okay, slash stats. And uh Jack literally gives it all away. Like, you know, you, you get to see all of the download stats, where his traffic's coming from, what's worked, what hasn't. You know, it's just uh, an, an incredible resource. You are definitely, you know, like paying it back or paying it forward, you know, when it comes to kind of taking the lead from, from Pat. Well, it's, it's one of those things where I I kind of appreciate a an annual report on how did I do, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I'm making it for myself, then I might as well publish it. I just... I have no problem. I mean, we we see stats on YouTube. Every YouTube channel, we can see the stats. So, right. to me, it's the same. I don't I don't know why people hide from stats so much. Totally. What do you think podcasters get wrong when constructing? You know, when they're asking for money from their listeners. I don't like when I hear a podcast super full of ads and then also asking for Patreon support or something like that. So something's like I really try to keep ads to a minimum because I get that extra support from listeners. And then my goal is just, is just to eventually get rid of ads altogether and just be 100% listener supported. Sam Harris is like that, right? And right. some other shows. So it's really wonderful to see people like that just say, yeah, we I don't have to worry about ad uh, sponsors at all. And I can talk you know about any company in the world without having any sort of you know fear that they're going to pull ad money away or something like that and totally. so yeah one day i would like to get to that point but yeah i'm not sure what else people do wrong yeah cool well not sure if you know but the team that built supercast built sam harris's <laughs> solution as well so we, we would love to be able to do something with you Zooming out a little bit, there's, you know, very much a noticeable, you know, wider kind of community lean into your work, as well as sharing all of your data and your your successes. You're blogging over at LimeLink and you're helping podcasts be better. Tell us a little bit about that and what that means to you. To me, I've got to sort things out in my head and try to figure out like, you know, like if I'm doing research on anything in the podcast space, I'll get a bunch of information. And I'm like, well, why should I just keep on to that? I might as well blog about it somewhere and share this with everyone else. So that's what lime.link, that's the whole URL lime.link is uh, is about. I just blog about podcasting. So some of the things I'll talk about, like one of the things that I was really fascinated with is how big does my audience look if I were to put them all in a stadium, right? And so I got all these pictures together of like, this is what 50 people look like in a room. This is what 150 people look like in a room. This is what a thousand people look like in a room. And so there's all these images of what it looks like. And if you only have like 150 listeners, I'm pretty sure I would be nervous to stand in front of a room with 150 people and, you know, tell them about what I'm feeling about whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of encouraging to see certain things. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the articles I write about monetizing and, and marketing and challenges that podcasters have and how to how to sell merch and all kind of stuff just because I'm out there doing all the all the research and I might as well publish what I find. So it's just kind of easy to put all my notes together and I don't like having to remember it. So once I put it down, it's easy just to go back to it and say, what, what was it that I said about that? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I love that you're you're doing this. You know, you're obviously drilling down into some some you know changes in the industry that you know if they're not impacting us now, no doubt going to have some impact in the future. Notice that you recently did a write up on Megaphone's target marketplace um, and how you know the tech they're they're starting to introduce now is not only 
you know, causing some concern from privacy points of view, but also causing Megaphone to show up on uh, block lists. Can you kind of fill us in on what's going on there? Yeah. So, I mean, Megaphone is what, like maybe the 15th most popular podcast host or something. They have a few thousand, maybe 3,000 podcasts that they run. And it's kind of a high-end um, podcast host where you have to have like a certain amount of downloads before they'll really consider you. And what they have is a way to have automatic ads inserted into your show so you might hear like a uh, you know i don't make the ad it's just it might show up from like pepsi or starbucks or you know somewhere else like a like a regular radio ad that you might hear or a tv ad that company made the ad and they they gave it to megaphone and megaphone uh, puts it in your show for you and then you get uh, you know some some money for that so that's what their targeted marketplace is and that would be all right if it was just that but what they do is they take listener info and say, okay, what is this listener? They compare it with Nielsen segments. So they can then say, okay, so this listener is from Seattle and they, I've seen them, you know, go to like a bicycle website recently. And so maybe they like coffee or something. So they'll, they'll specifically target listeners, you know, the show to specific ads. There is some collection of listener data from this, which is really strange because you just don't imagine, you feel like podcasts is kind of anonymous. When I listen, I don't really feel like I'm being tracked or anything. There's no way you don't sign up or anything. You just kind of download the MP3 and listen. Yeah, they're doing that. And it seems to have caught some attention of some like anti-tracking apps, like um, I think uBlock Origin and Brave. The browser is a pro-privacy browser. have said, well, we don't want trackers. We don't like trackers. And if Megaphone is tracking you listeners, then let's block them. So these kind of uh, plugins for browsers and stuff have been blocking just all of Megaphone, not just uh, my show. And, and of course, I didn't, I don't like that feature. So I turned that feature off for my show. So you don't just get these ads and my listeners aren't being tracked. But it is one of those things where now I'm being added to block list because they're just blocking all of Megaphone. And I'm, you know, suffering kind of that collateral damage from it. Turning it off doesn't unblock you? No. Ouch. No, it's all of megaphone.fm. The blog post explains like exactly what the domains are that are being blocked and that kind of thing. But it's just strange that, you know, Adblock Plus and Ublock Origin and some DNS providers are blocking this podcast host. And as far as I know, this is the first podcast host ever to be blocked. So all two or 3,000 shows, whatever they have hosting, are being blocked by seven different block lists. And I think that this is something that Megaphone really needs to think about internally of like, do we want to keep going with tracking listeners and being added to more and more block lists? Because, I mean, obviously it's making them money dealing with these ads and stuff. Or do they want to uh, say, actually, we uh, we don't like that. And so Megaphone just got bought out by Spotify and Spotify does use technology like that. So I don't see them turning around anytime soon. You also mentioned that Art19 has introduced something similar as well. Yep, Art19 has the same technology, but they don't uh, advertise it as much. And so I don't think these uh, block lists just know about Art19 or have been reported. Nobody's reported them about that, I guess. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're second to get start getting blocked as well. Yeah, interesting. So where do you see that headed? I mean, obviously, if you've got block lists and, you know, and, and more and more of these, you know, advertising platforms kind of coming, you know, face to face with each other, do you take any kind of parallels from the way advertising has, you know, kind of evolved elsewhere on the internet to, to guide you and where, where this might go? 
Yeah, I'm pro-privacy and anti-tracking kind of person. So you have websites like Google.com, which will look at all kinds of information on you and give you targeted ads. But then you have a search engine called DuckDuckGo.com that doesn't track you, but still gives you ads. And you're like, well, how did I... How did I get an ad? Well, if you search for like vacation destination ideas, then there's tons of, of you know, websites out there that want to advertise their vacation options or whatever. So it's, it's easy for you to not be tracked and still get contextual ads because you just search for that term. So just that term alone, you can get all kinds of things. And so I'm hoping that in the future, if my show is about IT security, then you can use IT security as part of, you know, and throw those kind of ads in my show. I'm fine with that. All right. You know, so it doesn't really have to be, well, what's that list? Where's that listener live and, and what are their likes and dislikes and all these things? I don't, I don't want things to go in that direction. I prefer it to just be contextual and not really uh, database driven for the ads, but that's, that's my hope. I don't think it's going to go that way. I think um, sponsors drive this kind of thing. And if they want more information, they're probably going to find a way to get more information. Right. Final question. You know, if, if you could do something over again, what would you do differently with your journey? Oh, start sooner, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's hard. It's hard to say for sure because you know everything has just been a learning experience. On, you, you, I knew like when I was getting started, I knew I had to get. 10 or 20 episodes in the can before I really felt like this was a thing mm -hmm. and before I could really feel like I could compete with some of the other bigger shows out there. Like, and so, so it was always just a rush for me to get through, uh, just get a whole bunch of stuff in the catalog. Right. And at the same time, I knew I had to go through that kind of churning process of learning and everything to actually know what I was doing. So I was trying real fast to just rush through it all and get somewhere. Um, but yeah, if I had started sooner, I, I wish, I wish that was the case. And that's, <laughs> I think that's my biggest thing I would have done differently. I also would have joined Supercast if I was starting it all over. <laughs> <laughs> What's the evolution of the team been like? Um, okay. So I started out just as solo and did that for probably 40 episodes. But then once I started monetizing, I was able to afford some help. And I think that was kind of the thing is I just couldn't afford to pay people at the beginning. So now I have editors and producers and, and sound designers and writers um, all pitching in, working on different episodes. It doesn't quite feel like a team. It feels more like a hub and spoke kind of thing where I give somebody something to do, they get it done and they send it back to me and then I give it to the next person to get something done and then they send it back to me and then I give it to the next person to get something done. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but I'm learning how to build a team right now. That's kind of my biggest struggle I'm working with. Awesome. Okay. Well, we are going to park it there for uh, our main episode. And for our Supercasters Premium listeners, uh, we're going to have a bonus section uh, where we deep dive now into what Jack learned during 2020. Heard us say earlier, he did a lot of experimenting with marketing from promo swaps to write-ups to paid marketing. Uh, and we're going to get him to share what he learned and also get some idea as to where he's going to be placing his bets uh, in 2021. So if you'd like to listen to that, you can sign up for Supercast's premium feed at premium.supercast.com or click the link in the show notes. Uh, it's 100% free and you'll get the, the premium Supercast's feed in your podcast player in just a, a couple of taps. Jack, pleasure speaking with you today uh, and thank you so much for coming onto the show. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thanks for having me. How do people find you? darknetdiaries.com would be the best best place to look for me or you want to go to lime.link if you want to hear uh, me talk about podcasting 
All right, that's it, folks. Bye for now.